With PAX Unplugged around the corner, are we ready to cover a board game convention? Hello everyone, and welcome to the Sprite and Dice Podcast. Hello everyone, it's November 11th and a very cold day, which is perfect for staying inside and recording. Welcome again to the Sprites and Dice podcast, where we talk about gaming news, reviews, opinions, and thoughts, all in 45 minutes or less. My name is Wyatt Krause, and I'm joined by two of my contributors here, Adam, my editor. Hello. And Eric, my writer. Hello. This podcast episode is dedicated to board games, and more specifically, covering three board game reviews, trying to make sure if we can stay underneath 45 minutes. First time we're doing it, we'll see if we can hold to it. Before we get to that, though, it is only four days before we go to a board game convention of our own. PAX Unplugged, the very first one. Everybody panic! In the past, we've had previous contributors that were able to go to Gen Con. It's been one of my dreams to go to Gen Con for years, and I've never been able to, partially because in my current job, that is the crunch time. It's right before school starts. There's a lot of work to do. I can't quite get everything done in that point. And also, it is a 12-hour drive. So I've never been able to do that. When I found out about PAX Unplugged this year, that it's in Philadelphia, and it's the first one, I had to jump on that, and we were fortunate enough to get press passes for me and Eric. Yep. Super jealous. I worked out, I guess, though, because this year, short notice, couldn't get off work. So my well wishes go with you both. Oh, yeah, the, the wrangling I had to do with my schedule for this week. I want to hear it. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be really interesting for me to go to a Penny Arcade event or a convention that's in its first year where it is still trying to get it off the ground, figure out what it's going to do. Now, of course, Penny Arcade does have a lot of experience hosting conventions. I remember going to the second ever PAX East, and that was a lot of fun to kind of see it as it started to blossom. And now you see it now where it's this ridiculous setup. I mean, they just did the ticket sellout for the four-day PAX East this year. Saturday sold out in, what, 40 minutes? Uh, it was, I think, about 55 or 60 minutes. It sold out for all of Saturday, but now it's four days long. Our credit cards are all crying, right, guys? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm, and that's not including all my Kickstarter purchases. <laughs> so we are getting ready for Unplugged again, and there's a lot there. It's going to be interesting because in the board game universe, from what I've seen and what I hear when I talk about or listen to the Dice Tower or Secret Cabal Network and a few of those other podcasts out there, They all have their individual conventions that they go to specifically for either hanging out with other friends, getting their news in, or getting their releases. For a lot of different board game publishing companies or otherwise, Gen Con is the one that's the big kind of holy grail for news and releasing games a few months ahead of schedule, finding out what's going to be worth reviewing, and it's a huge kind of release extravaganza. That's not the case here. There's not so much of a huge hubbub about are there going to be any brand new board games here for the first time nowhere else. But it is going to be a place where there's, what, I think over 100 exhibitors by this point already, and there's a whole list of new things to experience. I think one of the newest things they're going to have there is the, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, the Xanathar's Guide to Adventuring from Dungeons & Dragons. For the the new 5th Ed expansion book, or whatever you call it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a huge fan of Dungeons & Dragons, and I haven't had a chance to really kind of dive into it. But what I've really liked about 5th edition is they've taken their time coming out with core rule books. So you had the original three. They did come out with the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, so you can kind of go to the Forgotten Realms universe. They just came out with the Volo's Guide to Monsters last year, which was a second monster manual in a way mm-hmm. that was more written as a journal. And they've taken two, three years to get to this point where they've released a whole book just on new character classes. Yeah. And, you know, 
I'm a Pathfinder man myself, you guys know. Yeah. But yep. um, even I would recommend 5th Ed to uh, a newer player, someone who's not as familiar with Dungeons & Dragons or just getting into tabletop role-playing. I would point them toward 5th Ed over Pathfinder just because it's so much more streamlined. But you know what? That's a different podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. But one thing is just you look at the table of contents for this one book... And there's, what, two or three subclasses for every new class in this one. They're adding war wizards, which, Adam, I know you would be appreciative of. You know, I've never played a wizard in tabletop, ever. Everyone pegs me for one. I've always been a rogue player. I've never played a wizard. Uh, They're adding in a new fighter. Um, The arcane archer is going to be a fighter subclass, which is really cool. They're adding in the mastermind thief. So it's an intelligence-based class that has no magic whatsoever. They're pretty much Sherlock Holmes. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, they're adding in a druid summoner called the uh, Circle of the Shepherd Druid, where they're literally just summoning as many badgers as possible to murder your enemies. <laughs> I'm going to assume I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I'm really excited to see that because I think the book is actually coming out after this event, but all the local um, gaming stores got it a week or two early. So I'm going to guess they're going to have it there with the special edition covers and everything. I'm really excited for that. So that's going to be one of the first things I beeline for. What are you beelining for, Eric? I've got two big uh, stops in mind. I want to see Paizo, because they just recently came out with Starfinder. Yeah, you wrote um, a few articles for us on that. Yeah, and you know, I've read the rule book, but I haven't had a chance to actually play it. So the articles that I wrote were, were theory crafting, and I would love to actually sit down and play through a round of it. Um, I think they're going to have... Uh, I don't know if they've got Starfinder Society there, but they've got like actual adventure paths ready to go. Something that I noticed when I was looking at the schedule is the schedule actually looks more dense and thick than Penny Arcade East, Hmm. which is hilarious, but when you think about it, it's because there's so many different tabletop tournaments. Yeah. And they have constant... um, They had, again, they have the ones for... Wizards of the Coast as well for Dungeons & Dragons, where in one hour they're like, oh, here's three adventures at a tier one level for our society. Do you want to jump in and play Dungeons & Dragons with us? Here you go. And a few hours later, here's some for tier two, here's some for tier three, and it just constantly is going day in and day out. There's more than one mega game happening, Adam, at this event. I'm sorry. Say that again? There's more than one mega game happening. That is a lot of space taken up. My goodness. They have a dedicated place on the map for mega games. That is incredible. And I'm actually really happy to see that because I know there's been a mega game uh, for the last at least two years running at PAX East. um, And they've been very successful. They have one that's only an hour long because it's sort of like an introduction to mega games called Galactic Mm. Aces. You would like that because it's space. And you are pretty much space pilots exploring the galaxy as quickly as you can with a team. I'm planning on going there with my friends on Friday night. My friend Antonella, who I've been friends with my entire life, she's a huge history buff, and it's called The World Turned Upside Down. Oh, I've heard it. This is the American Revolution one, isn't this it? This is the American Revolution one. She's a huge buff. She gets very angry on Twitter all the time, in all caps, talking about American history. She's like, we're going to be New York State loyalists, and we're going to go through that. And I keep recommending, we could be Benedict Arnold, and she gets really ticked at me. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to doing that as a team. Uh, Adam, is there anything that we should pick up for you? Pick up for me? <laughs> uh, I don't think you have enough suitcase space. But, no, I would say the exhibitor list is huge. And I was just, you know, flipping over it casually. And I noticed, for example, that, of course, a lot of big names are going to be there. Uh, cool Mini or Not is going to be there. I would at least pass by there and see if there isn't, like, a three-hour wait to play a demo game of Rising Sun. Uh, you both... We'll love it. Uh, I, I am getting a copy, but that's not until next year. So, uh, <laughs> you know, 
It's one of them. It's going to be big. I would say drop by their booth and see if something is uh, is playable there. Cool Mini or Not is a great kind of place to stop by. Ninja Division as well. These kind of gaming groups that are great with miniatures. They have these elaborate setups. They're fantastic. However, I will say, after doing Kickstarter after Kickstarter a few years ago, and picking up games that have 50, 60, 70 miniatures, I've cooled off on those, and I've been really liking the quick, easy to kind of teach and set up board games that are great for the bar. This has been my recent push. So for me, I'm looking forward to White Wizard Games. They're the ones that came up with Star Realms and Epic, Hero Realms, which we're actually going to review a little bit later. They recently just came out with a campaign version of the game. So we know how ridiculous the regular Hero Realms is. The campaign is going to be a way to play co-op and go up against a boss area. And that's really, really fun for me. You guys know I love co-op. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, speaking of Ninja Division, that was the second stop I had in mind. Uh, they released Rail Raiders, which is what I'm going to be talking about a bit later on. I just really like their whole approach to games. Like, they don't take themselves too seriously. They make things that are fun and quick. And um, I'm also really curious to talk to them about Tales of Equestria because... <laughs> Why are we not surprised? Why like, are we not surprised? But, like, how, how does a company decide to make a My Little Pony Dungeons & Dragons-style game? Like, how do you come to that conclusion? Then how do you do a it? Eric, have I shared with you this thing that somebody did on the internet where they took this wonderful board game called Scythe, which has won many Best of Awards this right. year, and made My Little Scythe, which is rethemed with ponies. <laughs> Speaking about like creative games, I'm actually kind of happy that I saw that Cephalofair Games is not there. Gloomhaven has been getting a lot of accolades all year round. It seems like my perfect game because I love legacy games. I love that sort of constant growth. I don't need to bring back a 15-plus pound board game. That's 22 pounds. 22 pound board game. I think. That's over $100 in my backpack so I can actually make room for a lot of the smaller ones I'm looking forward to. More importantly, that is an impressive backpack. Very impressive. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Renegade Games. They're the ones that came up with Clank alongside Direwolf Digital. And they just recently came out with Clank in Space, which is an upgrade to make it into, obviously, a sci-fi themed. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of people that have reviewed it have said they actually took the original Clank and they made it smoother and made it a little bit more fair, where you can't have just one person walk in and go, Here's a five-portion artifact. Take it and run away while everyone else is still trying to get into the dungeon. They streamlined it a little bit better, so I'm looking forward to seeing that one. I know that if we kept going at this pace, we could literally spend another 30 minutes talking about most of the exhibitors on here. So last-minute ones, I'm looking forward to the mega game, like I said. Some of the panels are looking really good. They've got some great ones on diversity, some great ones about positive gaming. A few that are being done by the man behind Watch It Played about how to set up a game night, how to theme a game night, how to get people interested. There are some that are doing your actual how to design board games and how you break into the industry in several different ways. I'm probably going to be seeing a few of those myself. I know Crafty Games is demoing a Mistborn board game. That looks interesting if you've ever read the Mistborn series. I feel like it would behoove us to check out one or two of the podcasting panels. It'll just feel for me, I know I'm going to have imposter syndrome if I walk into one of those. When I'm looking at Tom Vassar or the other ones who are in front of hundreds or thousands of people, we're like, here's our first podcast. In comparison to people like Eric Summerer with his perfect golden radio voice. I uh, really feel he has a soundproof booth and an actual day job recording audiobooks. <laughs> so I would say that his investment is well spent. Fair enough. So I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm really looking forward to going to a board game convention, especially since I just came from going to DreamHack Denver, which was an eSports convention. I'm going to have Whiplash, I think, just kind of going back to this one and seeing a much more slower pace, but at the same time, a lot to do. 
But with that in mind, Matt's going to be in four days, and me and Eric will be coming right back after driving three hours back on Sunday and trying to record all of our notes as quickly as possible into the same microphone to get you an episode out just from PAX Unplugged. So we will save kind of the ranting and raving for that one. For now, we do want to start doing reviews, and we are going to try to do something a little bit different. Each one of us is going to have to promote a board game that they especially appreciate. All of us have played these individual board games, but the person that is speaking for them is a true fan. They have two minutes to kind of give us the basic spiel to us and you, dear listener, and then we have a chance to kind of ask questions, see who the game is for, and see if maybe that's something that you want to pick up or not. We're going to each have approximately ten minutes to get through each one's section, so... Anyone here want to take the first stab? Oh, boss, pick me. Coach, send me in. All right, Adam. All right, so uh, I am going to be reviewing Inish, which is spelled, if you're looking for it on the internet, I-N-I-S, but I am told it's pronounced Inish. It's an Irish word. So uh, Inish is a dudes on a map area control board game where up to four players compete to spread their Celtic clans around the map in a bid to be the next king. And they do this by either having control over six other people's clans, meaning you have the most dudes in a particular territory and everyone else who's less than you in your other territories totals up to six. Or you're in territories with six sanctuary buildings, which are things you can build. They're basically just a victory condition. Uh, And you can also just be in six different spaces on the board. So if people are battling over something in the middle, you can spread off towards the edges, which is totally something I've seen Wyatt do and then win. Sneaky bum. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those are how you play. Now, what you do is you draft these green action cards. So you take a few in your hand, you take one you want, you pass them around, and this continues around the table until everyone's drafted a hand of cards to play for the turn. It means that Inish is very easy to teach because within a couple of turns of people doing this draft, they're going to be familiar with pretty much all the green cards. So you'll know, oh, I'm not getting any attack cards, somebody's going to attack me, maybe I should take something to build a defense with, or so on and so forth. Um, There are also special yellow cards related to the territories that you're controlling, and then special red cards, which are like epic deeds and godly feats and things that happen that are... Not necessarily overpowered, but very weird and particular in how they're played. And you go back and forth across the map. Uh, There's Bren, who's kind of the steward to the king, uh, and he breaks ties. So, like, if you were about to claim the win, and so was the Bren, the Bren would just win. And you can take Brenship away from people by taking over wherever the capital city on the map is. That's all randomly determined, so the game's different every time you play. Other important fun points about Inish, it's always, you're always brushing elbows against people. There's never enough space on the map, so you always have to share territory with your neighbors. You can never really have spaces to yourself. I would guess finally fights are the most interesting part of the game clashes. When you move into a territory with someone else's clan, you don't necessarily have to fight them if you all agree that you don't want to fight. And that goes for if there are multiple people in the territory you're moving into. But if at least one jerk says, no, we're battling, then you go around the table taking it in turn to either kill off one of your armies or kill off a card from your hand, a green card, which are valuable actions, until everybody decides they don't want to fight anymore or all the competition is dead. And play continues like this until everybody has six of whatever the victory condition is. All right. So that is one thing that I really love about Inish right off the bat, that it is a very risk-style game. It is territory control. You're expanding outward. However, there's no dice. No dice. 
Yep. No dice at all. And not even power cards. There's no sort of, you know, so Blood Rage, when you play Blood Rage, you have the ability to put down cards and they have pluses or minuses to see who's going to be on top. And this one, it's just, hey, you want to die? And you kind of go into it that way. I mean, there is a little bit of hidden information, like one of the drafting cards, one of the basic action cards is like, when somebody attacks you, you can immediately play, either after you've killed one of their armies or something is when you want to play it, you immediately get another army or clan in your right. territory, and then you take the next action again, which means technically you can attack twice in a row, and now you have one more army than you used to have. So like, you could surprise people like that. Yeah, but there's nothing like Risk where you're in the middle of something and you go, oh, and by the way, I have 20 more armies. No, yeah, it's, it's nothing that ridiculous and in fact your armies are limited so if you've ever got all your clan figures down on the board and then you go to play a card that says like put two more clans on the board you can't you're almost incentivized to go bloody somebody's nose just so that you can have a couple dead units and put them all somewhere else out on the corner of the map one of the things I've seen a lot of people do the first time they play this game is that they'll amass their armies into one territory going like oh, risk right I am the king of this capital and then they realize they have no one more to put out or myself, well, usually as a way to teach, or just win, is I start going off to the border and just kind of keep walking, just keep putting more and more people out. I love how the territories come out in this game. Yeah, so one of the actions is explore. When you take the explore action, you take a tile off the top, you flip the tile over, you put it on the board, and then you can move some of your clans into that territory. So as long as you have at least one, you can kind of just chain your guys out, put one in a territory and say, yeah, you can take this territory over, but how thin are you going to spread yourself mm -hmm. coming after me? So, Adam, you, you talked a lot about how the game is played, but why do you like it? Like, what, what is it about Inish that keeps you coming back? Okay, a bunch of stuff. Uh, well, number one, Risk is entirely too long. It goes on forever, and, and Risk Amen. has that... It has that classic problem of nobody wants to be the first jerk to attack somebody else, so you do what Wyatt said, right? You put all your armies in one territory, and you clog up the choke points and you say, I'm not going to attack if you don't attack me until somebody gets all of Europe and then you've got to go in and break up their mm -hmm. monopoly on Europe so they don't get the bonus armies. And in this game, you're always just in each other's space all the time. So problem solved there. There's no player elimination. Like, you will eventually come back in on the map. It's just a huge tempo loss mm -hmm. if you really lose that many fights. There's all kinds of different ways to win. I like the multiple victory conditions. You can turtle up on Citadel or sanctuary, excuse me, cities, or you can spread out, and do you want to go for the capital and be the Bren? I, one rule I didn't mention is you have to take a, a little pretender crown token when you're going to win, which broadcasts to everyone, hey, I'm about to win, this is your last chance to dogpile me so that I don't win. And, you know, so, like, is going for the Bren to break the tie worth it? Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on for this game, and yet it's easy to teach, it's easy to get new people interested, it looks really pretty on the table, so people will walk by and say, ooh, can I play? I've brought this out at the at the bar night that we run over in Huckleberry, and I've done that, where they go, is this like Risk? Is this going to take forever? And they're like, oh, wait, no, maybe it's not like Risk. You do the first round where everyone drafts the cards, and they're like, I don't know, this card looks pretty, this card is not my, quite my thing. By the second time, they're like, oh, I like to expand, or oh, I like to build cities, and they start figuring it out. I love the pretender crown thing, where you, as in one of your actions, yeah, you have to say, hey, by the way, I might win at the end of this round if no one's careful. 
So what do you think about the card drafting sort of situation with it? Oh, I love card drafting. I think it's a, a brilliant mechanic. I love it in just about every game I own a card drafting game for. I think one thing that's also really great is that there aren't a lot of cards. So I think there's only 16 or 17 cards. And yeah. there's less if you don't play with four players, because there's four player only cards, I think, too. Right, so there's only 17 cards that you draft. One always gets put to the side, and then the rest kind of get passed around. So there's not that many. So the, by the time you're playing your second game, or even just the second or third round, you know what all the cards are. Except for the epic cards, because that's just a giant stack of epic tales from Celtic myth. Yeah, and you know, and it doesn't, those are the red cards, like the special godly powers or the epic feats, but they're not overpowered, they're not broken. So I feel like, in a way, it's still very new player friendly because just because I don't know the entire deck of red cards, people will see them and go, uh, I don't even know if this is useful for me. Maybe I should figure out a way where I can have your armies in a space with two or more sanctuaries built in it so that I can then kill your armies. I, that yeah. So it's really weird, like, some of the things that these cards do. Yeah, it's like they, they change the balance of the game, but they don't necessarily unbalance it. A strategy is just to collect as many red cards as you can and have a toolbox for whatever comes up. But you could also find yourself like Adam said, with just a bunch of cards in your hand, and you're going, well, what the heck am I supposed <laughs> to do with these? So one negative that I have heard about the game, just as to the kind of the last question here, is that sometimes some people didn't like that you can kind of have a surprise win. You can ninja win in this game. Once you've played a few times, I feel like you know what the basic actions are. You see the victory conditions present on the board at all times. I think it's just a matter of uh, making sure you police your friends who are likely to run away quietly at the end. Mm. Yeah, Wyatt. I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised you're going after Wyatt about this. That's like my... Uh... I mean, that is also how I, that's how I win games of Cosmic Encounters. Do not be perceived as a threat and then sneak in at the end. I mean, it, it's a strategy game. It is. That's certainly a viable strategy to just sneak off to the corner and quietly do your thing. And while everyone else is busy punching each other in the face, you just turn around and say, hey guys, I won. And if they're not watching you, that's their problem. Or you have that one guy at the table who goes, he's about to win, get him! Yeah. So really quick, uh, who do we think this game is for? Who is the perfect person for this? I would say this one's for anybody who likes area control games, anyone who likes that dudes on a map style, but maybe who doesn't want something that's big and heavy and, you know, simulation or war game level depth. Someone who doesn't want something that goes on for three or four hours. Yeah, it, it's for someone who grew up playing Risk and just doesn't have the time or the patience for it anymore. I definitely like the sneaky portion of the game, and I love the fact that it has a very Celtic vibe to it, so if you like that sort of artwork or style, or you, you know, identify that way, a lot of people really gravitate for the game in that direction, and I definitely like how it is a risk game, but there's no dice. So in some ways, it's a great territory control game for Euro gamers. Yeah, that's true, because it doesn't have that randomness of having to have a whole like dice mitigation system. And I do agree, by the way, the artwork is phenomenal. Final thoughts? Highly recommend. Two opposable digits up. Agreed. It's um, We've described it as risk but good. I stand by that. Risk but gooder. I don't think risk is bad, but I think this is definitely better. It definitely is one of those games where I feel like all within the course of a few years, a lot of different game developers went back to the classics and went, how can I make this palatable and make it fun for people that are now playing games like Catan? And I definitely love it. I recommend it. It's great even at a bar. It's a beautiful game. It's worth the money as long as you're someone that likes territory control. All right, well, that was Inish. Eric, you want to go? Sure. I would like to talk about Rail Raiders, uh, excuse me, Rail Raiders Infinite by Ninja Division. Well, you know the uh, episode one of Firefly where they're robbing the train? It's pretty much that. 
It's, I believe, up to five people, five or six people. Sorry, up to four people. Each play as one bandit who's robbing this train. And it's it's Wild West, but it's in the future. Um, robbing this intergalactic train in space. Yeah, it's, it's as silly as it sounds. What I think is really cool about it is um, the way the battles happen. You've got a hand of five dice. Each die has a nine, ten, jack, queen, king, and ace on it and you do, like, Yahtzee poker. Some abilities, uh, there are weapons that let you roll extra dice. There are weapons and abilities that let you re-roll dice after the fact. There's a couple that even let you just set one of your dice to a particular face. Mm -hmm. um, I know Wyatt was enjoying his Huckleberry, who just let him flip one die to an ace at the end of it all. So, yeah, and it's just, it's really fast-paced, uh, very silly feel to it. Like, you're, you're hopping between train cars, knocking people back into other train cars. Rarely you'll actually be able to knock somebody off the train and they fly all the way to the back and, like, catch themselves on the railing at the back of the caboose and have to start all over. I think if it has one problem, it's that the train cars are randomized and so are the cards that you draw. And so what happens sometimes, I know the last game that we played, we ended up with just such an easy run of it. Like, there was treasure everywhere. There were very few lawbots, lawbots being the guys who were trying to stop you from doing this. Within a few rounds, we were able to clear the train. We just scooped up all the loot and then spent the last, I don't know, 10 minutes of the game just taking pot shots at each other, trying to take money. But aside from that one flaw, it's I think it's a lot of fun to play. So I know that you were talking about how it's a Western in space. We are talking about Ninja Division that loves their anime chibi-style and that's definitely on full display here. There's, oh, yeah. There's even, there's... I mean, I have the Kickstarter version, I think, or I got some of the Kickstarter miniatures, and I have Vash the Stampede called Typhoon, and he's mm -hmm. one of the characters you can rob a train with. So I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, because if you didn't bring it up, I was going to mention it. You should and... definitely talk about that the, the characters are... Well, it's like why I said, the expansion has a lot like that. Um, the base game, I believe, comes with more, like, classic Western tropes, like, you know, the, you got your Huckleberry character... Um, there's like the crotchety old prospector with the rifle, stuff like that. But yeah, in the expansion, you've got Typhoon, Fash the Stampede. You've got uh, Canton Cobb, you know, Jane from Firefly. You have uh, Thorn, who's Spike from Cowboy Bebop. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and um, the money, as you're fighting over money, whoever has the most money at the end of it wins. The unit is, of course, the double dollar. From Again, from going Trigon. right back to anime, going back to all that sort of style. And that's definitely, I think, one of the big selling points of this game is that this is a game that is very much, if we have to put a title to it, Ameritrash. There are a ton of dice. There's a I lot resemble of, that remark. There's a lot of dice. There's a lot of cards that are totally randomized. The loot is everywhere. You're just randomly shooting at things, but there's beautiful miniatures. It's very, very thematic. It really does feel like you're running through a train at top speed, throwing people off of it, fighting robots. It's ridiculous, and that's a good thing. What do you, if you want to break down the way a fight works, so if you're in mm -hmm. a train car and you want to loot, you can't loot, you have to wait for all the lawbots to get shot, and yep. the way that works... All right, so let's say I'm in the train with the, the lowest level of lawbot as a deputy, and in that case, assuming I don't have any weapons or abilities that power me up, uh, me and the person next to me rolls for the lawbot, we just each take our five dice, we roll, and whoever's got the better hand, as per poker rules, wins the fight. If I win, the lawbot is destroyed. I take a dollar, excuse me, a double dollar. Uh, <laughs> if I lose, I get knocked out to a different train car. And then on both sides, there are abilities, like I said before, that can modify your rolls. You know, if I've got, uh, 
Uh, if I've got the six shooter, I believe adds an extra die to it. Um, there are abilities that let you re-roll dice afterwards. So mm -hmm. you know, if, if I've got three of a kind, I can take the other die dice, try to get a four of a kind or a full house. Yeah, re-rolling is a big part of the game and kind of deciding which ones do you want to re-roll. Do you want to keep your hand and just let it set the way it is, even if someone else is beating you? Um, I definitely know that one thing that the lawbots have is that there can be a lot of lawbots in a car. And that's where a lot of this luck happens, where a game can become very enemy-heavy, or very much as you guys having a loot run and you guys are just shooting each other the entire time. Because when you have a fight in a rail car, let's say I'm in the rail car and you want to fight the lawbots, I can jump in and go, I want to get on this fight, and we all shoot at each other. Which gets ridiculous yeah. very quick. Yeah, there's no cooperating. If if Wyatt wants to jump in on my fight with a lawbot, it becomes a three-way shootout. Yeah, the only cooperating that happens in this game is you deciding not to get in someone else's way. Mm. Yep. And then there's other lawbots where if there's more than one or two, or there can be up to ten or even more in one particular car, they only roll once, but when you fight them, you only take out one at a time. Yeah. And you do get a double dollar for killing a lawbot, but it can get very tedious if you run into a very lawbot-heavy car, especially if they've got, like, um, sheriffs or marshals in there that make their rolls better. It can become very difficult to clear a car. So you've got that, and then sometimes you can walk into a car and there's nothing there, and that's partially because there's multiple decks that you're drawing from. You have the loot one, which if you manage to grab loot, you can turn it over, grab a loot piece, and either gain a lot of money, which is good for some characters, and winning um, weapons, which are good for some other characters, or items that let them kind of manipulate the board a little bit. But then you also have the High Noon deck, and you have the Long Arm of the Law deck, right? Yeah. Uh, long Arm of the Law is mostly where the Lawbots come from, go figure. Um, and those are things that you draw, how I said the train cars were randomized. Each car that you flip is going to have you flip a certain number of Long Arm of the Law cards, as well as have a certain number of loot tokens on it. So, like I said, last, last game we had a very easy run. We only had a couple Long Arm of the Law cards per train car, mostly deputies, but sometimes you'll run into, you know, a room can have three deputies, two sheriffs, and a marshal, and it's just like, is this even worth fighting, or do I just want to hop past it and try to try my luck on a different car? Uh, and then the high noon cards also function as the game's timer. You flip one over at the start of each turn, it has an effect on it, sometimes the effect is that the train speeds up so you flip off more cards, and these cards, these effects can be anything from like a one-time use that makes your rolls better, it could just be like for this round, you can re-roll one die, something like that. And when the high noon deck runs out, it is high noon, and the train reaches its destination and the game ends. And again, that high noon deck can have ridiculous things where you flip over one high noon card and immediately says, discard four more. Yeah. And the game can speed up very, very quickly. So there's a lot of luck in this game. It's very fast. It's a Western. Who do you think this game is for? I think it's. I think it goes very well at our bar nights that we have. You know, people just come out there to have a good time. I think it's not for, you know, quote-unquote hardcore gamers. Like, you know, the, the people who are real heavy into the very gritty, crunchy Euro games, they're not going to have fun with this. But if you're looking to just come out and play a, a quick, silly, fast-paced game, then I think Rail Raiders is where it's at. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, you have to be comfortable with dice. You have to be comfortable with just the randomness that you could roll, like, this massive handful of dice with your weapons and your character ability, and you roll, like, up hair. And you lose the fight, and you get thrown off the train, and you just have to be... If you are listening to this, and you're like, that sounds hilarious, my buddies and I will laugh our butts off over this game, then this game is definitely for that kind of crowd. 
for me, I don't want to say who would enjoy this game. I think it's more where. I think you're right. If you're having this at the bar or saloon, go figure. Of course. And you're having a few pints with the friends and you're hanging out and you're just rolling dice and shouting at each other, I think that's a fantastic thing. I could also see this one maybe going over well, just as something quick to throw down on the table with a group of friends. If you're waiting for people to get to game night uh, who are going to arrive a little bit later and you just want to play something silly, chuck some dice, have some laughs, have a good time, you could do this with that too, maybe. Final thoughts, everyone? Yeehaw. I wouldn't turn down a game with it. I think I think it's a great game. I am a Super Dungeon Explorer fan. I was came in on the first edition of the game, and Ninja Division is making, I think, a third edition by this point. They're always expanding. And when I've played games like Super Dungeon Sport, sometimes it can get a little bit long, a little tedious, just because there's a lot of setup. You're playing with four or five people. Rail Raiders is actually kind of a sweet spot for their games because it's fast. It's a pretty fast miniatures game. You get on the table, everyone understands the dice rolling pretty darn quickly, and you get through it. So I think it's yeah, a pretty even, darn good game. Even if you have to teach people how to play, I think you can get through a game in under an hour. Every so often you are going to have a dud. There's no way of getting around that, but it's a really great dice game, and it has fun with the fact that it's a dice game. All right. I think I'm the last one up, and I'm going to talk about Hero Realms. Now, Hero Realms is made by White Wizard Games, and they are the company that came out with Star Realms, which a lot of you might be familiar with. It's a deck-building game that's meant to be oppositional, meaning that you are facing off against someone else. You have life total like in Magic the Gathering, but in this case, you have a deck of cards. There's a center row, and you are drafting cards to try to build up your deck and make it better. Hero Realms takes this sort of concept and it has streamlined it in some ways, expanded it in others, and also just balanced it out a little bit more. And by balance, I mean making every card ridiculously fast in terms of how you can crush your enemies. You start off the game with seven gold cards, a ruby, a dagger, and a short sword. So you have a little bit of damage right off the bat. Everyone has 50 life, and you can have Two to four players is what they say in the base game, but if you've got more copies of the game, you can play larger versions, which does sound sort of fun. During your turn, you can take your gold, you can draft any of the central row cards, which can be any of four different suits. You want to make a deck based around one of these colors, because a lot of these colors have on their cards an ally ability, where they will have a base effect, and then if you have another card of that same alliance, it has a secondary effect. So while you're drafting, you're going to end up coming up with a strategy of what you kind of like. If you are a fan of kind of making your deck thinned out as much as possible in raw damage, you're going to want to get a lot of red cards, because if you play two of the same card, they might each only deal two damage, but with the ally ability, suddenly you're doing eight, nine, ten damage. If those numbers sound large to you, it's because they are. By the third or fourth turn in this game, you'll be looking at your friend and going, I'm doing you 15 damage, and you will wonder how the heck you're doing that. Or they will be saying back to you, I'm gaining 20 life and drawing three cards. This game ramps up super fast, and it's built that way. You have one of those cards you can always purchase, like in a lot of deck builders, and it's a fire gem, which is a gemstone that's worth two gold. However, there is an effect in this game called trashing your cards, and the fire gems, when you trash them, do three damage. So your money-making card is also a temporary explosive that you can throw at people, which is hilarious. This is a game that gets fast, it's brutal. If you're playing with two people, you can get through a game in ten minutes, probably. Or less. When you're playing with three or four people, it turns into a grand melee, where you're trying to dole out your damage back and forth to kind of whittle everyone else down. That's the base game of it, and it's a lot of fun. What makes it even better is that they have added expansions in the fact of different starter decks based around character classes like in Dungeons & Dragons or any good fantasy game. It's a lot of fun for 20 bucks. It comes in a very small package. 
easy to carry around and is a great introduction to deck builders from anyone with magic, or just a great thing to throw down as a filler game. Yeah, I know our introduction to White Wizard games was epic. We played that at PAX East either last year or the year before. Yeah, two years ago we, we grabbed Epic. Epic was the thing they made between Star Realms and Hero Realms, and that was a little bit of a different format. Yeah, it was a little bit different from this current deck building format, but I bring it up because it's the same kind of a feel, um, where, like you were talking about, where every card is just insanely powerful. And it just because everything is so crazy, it actually balances out. I, I would say that's pretty accurate. I would say it's like the power of Epic, but with that combo-y deck-buildiness that Star Realms had. Like, you're encouraged to have multiple copies of a particular color in your deck so that you can use those ally abilities and combo your powers. And I think there are expansion packs. We didn't play with them recently, I think, but you can actually add a few custom cards to your deck to be a rogue or a wizard or a fighter, correct? Right. So, um, I know, Adam, um, you've had the least games out of all of us, and I haven't had a chance to play the expansions with you, but um, there's up to there's five different expansions. Each one, I think, is only $5. Pretty much it's a different starting deck, and it's a based off of a character class. So you have a wizard, where he can actually do a little bit of damage to himself to draw extra cards. He can actually do a small little fireball attack on his own once per game. So every character class kind of have, has its own thematic that way. But also it changes the starter deck. So you might actually have the rogue that has a little bit of extra damage and, and some card draw. The I believe the wizard has a familiar, and the familiar can be one life gain or one gold gain or one damage. Whenever you pull it, it's like a small little cat thing that you pull up and you can kind of use however you want. So each one definitely has its own style, and that adds another element to the game. And didn't you say they're coming out with a co-op version? Yes. So they are going to add a co-op version to this game, which is sort of great because you have a small deck builder, and every time they add to this game, it's not just an expansion where they go, oh, hey, look, here's some more cards that kind of take the ridiculousness of the first one and amplify by adding more damage or more power creep or what have you. Instead, they're changing the style of the game. So the fact that the expansions are optional in a lot of ways and it's a great way to kind of diversify your game or make it more interesting to replay with your friends where you can go okay i was a rogue last time i'm going to try the ranger yeah they're actually doing sort of what netrunner has tried to do where instead of making things more powerful they do more like uh lateral growth just instead of just continuing to make the numbers bigger so you have to keep buying their stuff they just come up with different ways to play and they keep tweaking things and making new weird rules Something I didn't bring up when I was first did the kind of overview is that there are champions. So you have a lot of things that are just mostly spells where you play them, they're done. If they have the ally effect, go off great, and then they go into your discard pile and you'll draw them the next time you go through your deck. There are champions in this game um, where when you play them, they stay out. And those become really powerful in the game where if you keep them out, someone will start synergizing like crazy. Those remind me a lot of, um, I forget what they were, like they were planets or stations in Star Realms. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and some of these champions you don't have to attack and some of them actually have very high life totals which can kind of be a pain to get off the board if you don't have like say the blue suits removal effects mm -hmm. um, but some of them have like a little colored shield and then that indicates that I can't say attack Wyatt until I knock his guard out of the way first so some of these champions can be really annoying especially when you're Eric 
and you're playing <laughs> you're playing Whoops. the 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 death chaos whatever red suit it is that has the ability to recur things out of his discard pile. Yep. So you kill his guards, then he just brings them back, puts it back out on the table guard. again. Guard. I had one guard that game. He was really good at his job. <laughs> yeah, I had one guard and then I also had the necromancer, so I just kept putting the guard back on So the necromancer was really good at his job and the guard yeah. was just really good at standing in the way yeah, of fire. The guard was just going, "Just let me die." So, uh, one thing that I find fun about the game is that when you're playing two players, it's it's a great way to play sort of like a match the gathering game, but there's no hard feelings. Why? Because the game is too damn fast. Like you are going through this game at a breakneck pace by the third or fourth round, you can deal a good third or a quarter of someone else's life total if you get the right cards. One of my favorite strategies is buying all the fire gems. So suddenly you have double the gold, but then once you've gotten the cards you wanted to your deck, you throw literally a hand of four or five fire gems at someone and you're dealing them 15 damage if you have five fire gems in your hand. Yeah, and there's also just not the same investment as magic. It's you, you don't spend months of your life and hundreds of dollars crafting a perfect deck only to have it lose to someone else. It's you, you buy this box, you break it out, play for half an hour, and at the end of it, whoever wins, great. Absolutely. There's I, nothing I, wrong with that for Magic the Gathering. It's just no, not, not for, at all, if that's your thing. For this, it's the as a filler game, again, for Bar Night, I think that's a great theme for what we're doing since you're great Bar Night games. Um, I love bringing it out. I always have it in my bag because it's such a small box and sturdy. I was going to say I like Epic for the same reason. Every year we go to PAX now, I toss Epic into my day bag just in case we're all sitting around in a hallway at some point, want to get off our feet, play a quick card game. I could very easily see uh, Hero Realms doing this. Absolutely. And again, probably can be back on the podcast at some point after I go to PAX Unplugged because I want to pick up everything that comes with the game because again the base game is only $20 it's a very easy investment and that's one thing that White Wizard is very good at is letting people jump in and go through it uh, yeah their their mission I know their mission with Epic anyway was to give people the experience of a draft tournament without actually having to repay the money every time it, it mm-hmm. seems like that's what they're going for they want you to they want you to have the experience of these big hyper competitive card games without actually having to commit that much to it if there's um, one sort of caveat to this game is that sometimes the game will swing and will swing against you. And the other portion sort of about that is sometimes when you're playing, there are four suits in the game, and when you're drawing out the five cards, sometimes you're going to come through a block and it's all green, or it's all red, or it's all blue. And you're sort of like, hey, I bought one or two you know, yellow cards right off in the game. Where's my synergy? Where's it coming? Where's it coming? Part of the fun of the game is adapting and kind of deciding which suits you want to go for. And you can still win that way, but sometimes you can feel a little bit cheated. Again, the game is so fast, it's not that big a deal, at least in my opinion. So why? Big important question. Who is this game for? I think this game is for anyone that likes deck builders or has been burned out on deck builders and wants another way to kind of jump back in and feel refreshed. This game is quick, it's it's messy, but it's a fun messy where you're kind of just going in, it's a bar brawl. You, you have a good time, you beat each other up, and then you slap each other on the back and say, want to go again. Yeah, I think similar to Rail Raiders, it's for people who aren't taking their playing super seriously because there is, like you said, there's that random element to it, which could frustrate people who like to have more control. Um, but yeah, if you're looking, especially, you know, at a bar night, if you're looking to just go in and have a drink and swing some giant creatures around and then call it a day, this is a good game for it. 
I would say this one's a good one to introduce people to deck builders with, because a lot mm. of deck builders can get very big, very heavy. I have a game called Thunderstone, not the newest version of it anymore, but the last one with all of the expansions, and that's a lot of cards, and that's a lot of stuff to put down on the table, and that's the kind of game where an experienced deck builder person will sit down and crush new players. Mm. Um, and you could sit down with Hero Realms and very easily, quickly teach someone how to play this game, and they could just be having fun inside of five, ten minutes. Yeah. Maybe even beat their host. <laughs> it looks very non-threatening on the table. Like, uh, oh yeah, it looks th great. Yeah, Thun Thunderstone looks intimidating. There's a lot to it. Hero Realms, not so much. In the board gaming universe, we always talk about gateway games to get people into gaming. I think there's another type of gateway game for getting people to try one genre of board game or card game and jump into another one. Hero Realms is great for someone that likes Dungeons & Dragons, likes that fantasy ode epic and wants to kind of throw down have a quick game either before or after a session or if someone likes Magic the Gathering or Netrunner or deck games where you're building your deck and spending lots of money and they just want a quick easy session and they want to see what's a board game and this is a great intermediary. Final thoughts gentlemen? I think this is an interesting one. I wrote an article recently about gateway games and changing how we think about them. And somebody very interesting in like the discussion about the article on Reddit had mentioned, you know, for people who don't do board games, who are just getting into it, gateway games or, or those games that get them in are going to be the ones that they play probably a lot. They're going to keep pulling down off the shelf time and again. I think this is definitely a good game for that kind of crowd. It's a great game. I really enjoy it. And for $20, if you're just looking for something new and interesting, again, very nice small box, throw it in the bag, bring it out. And if you want to expand into the expansions, that's where you're going to start throwing down a little bit of extra money. But if you really like the game, it's worth it. For me, it is. And that's one of the things I'm going to see PAX Employed to see if I can get into the co-op game and bring it back for Bar Night. I think that's what expansions are for. Games you love and you play a lot of. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening in. Did you like what you heard today and want more of our content? Check us out at www.spritesanddice.com for all of our articles updated every week. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sprites and Dice with an N, not and, or join our Facebook group to be notified about all of our posts and events. These episodes are possible thanks to the support of our listeners and readers and everyone out that loves picking up a controller or a pair of dice. If you want to support the Sprites and Dice project, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or stop by our Patreon. Every dollar helps. Thank you for being a gamer. Remember everyone, life is short, so have fun gaming.